Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. Is there a burning desire within to share your creativity with the rest of the world? Do you insist on pursuing your passion by any means necessary? Then you are on an Excelsior journey and you are not alone. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. My name is George Soroy, and thank you so much for being here for over 70 episodes, talking with so many great, talented people, and there is no sign of stopping at all. I am so grateful to all of you for giving this show the sort, the sort of attention it's gotten. Um, it just passed over 4,000 downloads over on Podbean. Just the fact that any that any of you are taking the time to listen to their story and really want this show to succeed means the world to me. So if you like what you hear, please spread the word. I really appreciate all the subscriptions, all the downloads, the comments that that have been just amazing. Everything. It This show means so much to me to be able to spread this kind of positivity to any and all creative people. We are all in some way, you know, really kind of struggling to get our voice out, to be heard. And we all have our own issues that we're working through in order to make that happen. I'm doing the same. Um, this has been, this 2021 has been very, and 2020, um, have been obviously very trying for all of us. And for me, it's been just very creatively stifling would say. Um, I haven't been writing much. I haven't been writing very well with this. And this has been just my real avenue of escapism. And the fact that you're all listening and enjoying it and telling friends about it. I've even seen videos on social media about it. It's It absolutely feels so validating. And I am thrilled to see that I am on the right track with this show. This show was born for one simple reason, because I just happened to know a whole lot of creative people and I wanted their stories to be heard. And whether it was going to be on my show, whether it was going to be on someone else's show, I didn't care. I just wanted their stories out there. And after a couple of months of thinking this over, that's when I realized that the time was right for me to step into my own solo podcast and see what I can do. Um, and here we are. It's a couple of years later. We're nearing episode 75, which is mind-blowing to me. That means this year we're going to hear episode 100. It just seemed like yesterday I was talking to Ryan Kasperzak from Hamilton for episode 50. But here we are. Here we are. And this week we have a really interesting one. A lot of uh, a lot of the guests that I've had here have been writers. That's which makes all the sense in the world, considering I am a writer myself. I do belong to a writer's community on social media and also in St. Louis, and it's very extensive. And so and there are a lot of great people in the writing community with a lot of stories to tell. I intend to keep on bringing in those writers to let them tell their stories. And if you are one of them, 
by all means, please go to he's got it.com slash podcast and fill out the guest application. I will get to you there. It is somewhat backlogged right now, um, but I will be getting to you. And I really, really appreciate the fact that you want to use my platform in order to tell your story. So this week we are going into a seminar that I took part in. If any of you remember, a few months ago, I was part of a group that uh, 2i Publishing and uh, Black Authors Collaborative have put together called Publish Me, The Business of Writing. And it was a really fun uh, seminar that I got to take part in with several other writers of different areas. This time around, I was invited back to expand on what I, what I do. And so you're going to be hearing the audio of Publish Me 2 beyond the writing this week. Um, so this is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to take a quick commercial break and then we'll be right back. And you're going to hear a very, it's a very long webinar. It's close to two hours long. Um, if you are an aspiring author, if you're really just trying to get your feet wet, if you're looking for the some real kind of spark to get yourself in gear, if you find yourself kind of starting, but at the same time right now you're kind of stuck, creatively, just as I am right now, um, then this is the seminar you want to listen to. Um, apologies in advance for any sort of audio issues. It is Zoom after all, and there w there were you know a few issues specifically with the host of the show. Um, but I am very proud to be a part of this group. I'm looking forward to hopefully another seminar where I get to come back and expand even more on what it is that we do in this wonderful world of writing. Uh, so we are going to take a quick break. We will be right back after this word. Today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. If you've never been an Audible customer and want to see what they offer, just go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and browse the unmatched selection of audio programs, download a title for free, and start listening. It's that easy. Why Audible? Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, and entertainers. And with this free 30-day trial, you'll have your pick of it all. You can hear books of all genres, narrated by Jim Dale, Stephen Fry, Will Patton, Alex Hyde-White, Jeff Brick, Neil Shaw, William Demerit, and even a few by me, George Soroy. So go to www.audibletrial.com slash Excelsior Journeys and start your own 30-day journey with Audible today. Hello, everyone. Thank you. Um, hello. Welcome, everyone, to Publish Me, number two, as we are going to go beyond the writing, as the title says. I am Tony Two Eyes. I am the founder and owner of Two Eye Publishing, who is one of the organizers in this event. And I also founded and um, I am part of, of the team for Poetics University. And we are a university uh, institute specifically for poets. It brings me great pleasure to welcome you to a second edition to 
this publish me, um, I guess, event series, if you want to call it that. And last time we we were it was called um, the business of writing, where we kind of introduced you to some of the concepts and the things that's inside of the business of writing um, or, or inside of the, the writing industry. But now we're going to go beyond and talk about the options. So without further ado, please welcome the other organizer who is representing the Black Author Collect Collaborative, uh, Ms. Dara Kalima. Hello everyone, my name is Dara Kalima and I'm really excited that you all have joined us here again. Um, some years ago, I started the Black Authors Collaborative with the goal of trying to create a network that was strong, a stronger network for authors to figure out how to do this writing thing. And so I get a lot of one-on-one -on -one conversations about how to do it and I walk a lot of people through it, but I wanted to create a bigger way in which we can have this conversation. So I'm very grateful for Tony who gave me the opportunity to sort of um, start that on a bigger grand scale and then tapping into my Urban League network because once an Urban Leaguer, always an Urban Leaguer. So um, I am very excited to have this event for you. So a little bit more of a backtrack very briefly over what we did last time. Last time we talked over some perf some key items to find some things. We talked about um, what your published some of your publishing options are, whether self-published or traditional route. We learned the role of a literary agent, which we'll go into a little bit more today. Um, we explored a bit more how one can get your thought to being published, so going from thinking about writing to actually making a book. Um, and we also talked a little bit about editing, which we will also go into a little bit more robust this time as well. Um, we challenged attendees to survey their resources and to see what they can, what they have and what they can do for themselves. And then also therefore decide who they need to onboard in their process with them. Um, and we talked about a, a little bit about the cost because we have, this is a business conversation. So you can't talk about business if you're not talking about the dollars involved in that. So we talked about some of that and then when it was over, we were really happy that we did some great things and discovered that we also needed to go a little bit deeper on some of that, which is why we're going beyond the writing and we're going a bit deeper into the conversation about how to make this happen. So with that said, I would love to introduce you to the president of the Young Professionals chapter of New York Urban League. So the New York Urban League Young Professionals, Eunice McCoy. Good evening, everyone. My name is Eunice and I serve as the president of the New York Urban League Professionals. We are so excited to have you guys here today. I will also be serving as the moderator for the event um, and one of the three co-sponsors of the event with the Twilight Publishing and the Black Office Collaborative. We definitely wanted to have this event again after the second, after the first time we did it, you know, we had so much so many questions that was left in the Q&A box from the last time that we wanted to make sure we came back to answer some of them for you guys. So as a reminder, we will have a Q&A section. And if you do have any questions, so please put it in the Q&A box, um, which is located in on the bottom of the screen. Um, and then I just also wanted to talk about, uh, one, thank everyone who gave a donation to our Whitening Our Scholarship Fund. Um, our, the New York Urban League has been having the scholarship fund for a couple of years, and we give our scholarship to high school seniors who are going into college and who is outstanding individuals and are trying to do great in the world. Um, it's named after one of our executive directors, Whitney M. Young, um, and we give it out every year or between $1,500 and $3,500, so exceptional high school students, so thank you all who participated in that. And now I have the lovely 
pleasure of introducing our wonderful panel. Um, let me go through our bio. So first we have um, Tony Langhorn. So Tony is an author, original artist, and owner of 2i Publishing, a unique small press publisher that specializes in poetry. Tony utilizing his passion for both people and poetry with his visual arts background to help authors create literary experiences. His unique approach to publishing centers around the reader's experience and has led to new techniques, layouts, and styles that have readers captivated from cover to content. He is dedicated to giving words life and connecting readers with authors around the world. Dara Kalima is an author and poet from the Bronx whose journey in writing has been an adventure since the age of nine. From stages in her community to her international debut in Scotland in 2018, Dara's words has touched lives of many. She has authored three self-published titles, founded Black Authors Collaborate, and is now the Vice President of Poetry University, an international institute for poets. Dara's ex experience, education, and passion for writing has led to her becoming a growing leader in the writing community. Then we have Dominique Lambright. Dominique Lambright is a rising editor who fell in love with words as a child. Since then, she's become an author of five titles, a graduate from UW-Milwaukee with a BA in English, and has built her edu editorial services from side hustle to established business. With over five years of experience, Dominique treats every project equally, despite their differences in content and budget. She makes sure that every project receives the same hard work, high determination initiative, and dedication that she is known for. Then we have Hilary Luck, which is another editor on our panel. She's the author of Ghosts Are Just Strangers, Who Knows How to Knock. She's been featured in, in Swapsy's Best Fiction List of 2019 and is a finalist for the Big Other Book Award. Currently, she runs Alchemy Author Services and Workshops and teaches writing at Lighthouse Writer. She's a poetry and prose editor for the Heavy Feather Review and currently hosts at the Inkwell Denver, a monthly reading series focuses on creating safe space for all voices. She's a Kenyon Review Scholarship recipient for 2021 and a visiting writer at Western Illinois University in the fall of 2020. Her writing can be found in both print and online in the Rumbrist and Thropsy, the Missouri Review, Denver Quarterly, Hubber, and others. She lives in Colorado with her partner, her son, their cat, Larry. Then we have Jim McCarthy. Jim McCarthy is a vice president and literary agent at Distal Goldrich and Boritz, where he started his publishing career over two decades ago. His list focuses on fiction for all age ranges, as well as narrative, nonfiction, and memoir. It includes New York bestsellers, Morgan Rose, Victoria Laurie, and Robin Talley to learn a few, along with critical celebrating award-winning authors such as Joy McCollum and many more. And then we have George Thoreau. George Thoreau is the author of the international best-selling young adult science fiction novel, Accelerator, and two, and two sequels in the five-part special science fiction sports serial from Parts Unknown. He served as president of the Missouri Writers Guild from 2017 to 2018 and the host and producer of the podcast Accelerator Journeys from Duck Till Dawn Outside the Marvel Studios. He's also an audiobook narrator, lending his voice to books of all genres. A New Yorker since birth, George lives in St. Louis, Missouri with his wife and daughter. And that is our wonderful panel, and we thank you all for being here. And we're just gonna hop in. So we're here today because we're talking about going beyond the writing and going to the business of writing. So making it into your career and your bread and butter. We'll be giving information about how to go beyond the hobby of writing and looking at as writing as a brand. So we're being joined by the six dynamic panelists who will share their unique perspective on the writing industry from their respective roles. So just jumping in panel, there's many different options within the writing industry. So can you each briefly share what has your career been in the writing industry and how did you get there? Hey, Eunice, um, I'm sorry. They, the guests have said that they can't hear um, clearly. 
Um, can you ask the question again? Um, there's also background noise in, like, I think when you're when you're speaking. <laughs> the question is for the panel. To, there's many different options within the writing industry. So can they briefly share what has your career been in the writing industry and how did you all get there? Okay, well, I will I will start since I spoke. <laughs> so I started off as a self-published author. I published in 2019, um, my first, oh, well, actually my only <laughs> um, collection. And from there, I saw that a book has an impact on a person. And, you know, in the, in the world where we think that books are dead, you know, and, you know, you have ebooks, you have all of these things, uh, but there's still power in the physical book and, 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 and bounded print. And so I was reading at open mics and, and you know, selling there and, and I curated open mics. And so people would come back the next week after purchasing my book and they were, they were giving me compliments. They were telling me how they relate so much to the story that I was telling and, and the poetry. And it made me realize that, that there is still something in, a, in the physical book. And after then combining that with, a, uh, with conversations with other poets and other writers and finding that they, you know, the ultimate thing that a writer could actually do is be bounded and printed in a book. Um, and, and so I spoke with people that had experience from one year to then, you know, 10 years and people that expressed their excitement or their, their wanting and their desire to actually print, but they never knew how to. And so because I went through the process, I'm one that, you know, I, I, I do things to actually bring people with me. So, um, so I decided to go into the publishing industry, did a lot of research, looked at like different things and, 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 and made sure that I had all the T's crossed and the I's dotted. And so 2i Publishing was started last year and I republished my book with 2i Publishing. We have now four and total is like, I think nine authors that are, and some of them are actually coming out um, in this year. But, and I, and I do the same thing that I did with my book. I sit down with them and ask them what their purpose is for this book. What do you want people to gain from it? And, and that is how, how I feel that books should be experienced with a purpose, not just words on a sheet of paper and, and bounded with a pretty cover, but from cover to contents, there should be purpose in, in each step. So um, that's my experience. <clears throat> so I'll go next. Um, and as you notice, we'll be dropping in everyone's different contacts. So start following people um, and engage with them after we'll throw them at the end of the panel as well. But for me, I saw, I was always writing, I wrote forever. And I ended up in a program, some people know it, some people don't, Momentum Education, and a question was posed, what do you want? And the next question following that is, how do you want to get there? And so that led to me birthing my first book, Black Man, Black Woman, Black Child. Before all of this, I actually used to perform in New York, but I was getting there, I was anxious, I wasn't, the, I wasn't your Deaf Poetry Jam people, and Deaf Poetry Jam was really big and maybe dying down at that moment. So I was like, I'm not these people, I can't do this. I, uh, uh, no, 
And then I suffered an injury at a venue and pulled out of performing for the most part. But because I had a book, I realized don't nobody know me except for my friends. So therefore the only way to get known is to be out in people's faces and saying, hey, look at me. And so I started having to go back into the performing. So I've been performing now again for the last five years. Um, and I've gotten to the point where I go from just open micing to actually getting booked for venues to participate in. Um, and then we also, and then with that, I do when outside was working, um, I was outside bending a lot. So I would go to different events and different events and not just New York, but I go to Philly, I go to um, Jersey and promote my stuff there too. So casting a larger net to participate in, in the writing business, because it's not, as I spoke to someone who started it, he said, oh, that's great. You wrote a book. Now what? Because it's great if you just wrote a book. That's wonderful. Now, if you're actually going to do this as a publisher as a business, then you have to put your business, you have to get rid of your artist hat and put your business hat on and start doing those things. So that's what I've been doing since. Hey, I'll jump in. Uh, first, apologies for having a dog on my lap who may uh, pop in and out of the uh, chat. Um, he is he is feeling very lonely tonight. Um, regardless, I'm Jim. I've been uh, at the literary agency I'm still at for 21 years. I started uh, part-time in 1999 and uh, fell in love with the work. I was able to do it for three years while I was still an undergrad and then went full-time and started building my own list of it. I represent a lot, primarily fiction, a lot of young adult uh, and middle grade fiction, some adult literary, commercial, mystery, thriller, romance, uh, and a bit of non-fiction, mostly on the narrative side. Uh, some memoir and a few essay collections. Um, so I am both a self-published. Um, I've always loved to write. So when I got the chance to, or actually when I learned about self-publishing, um, I was excited to finally get some poetry out there into the world. And I mean, no one really knew me. I was um, in and out of I can't remember the name of it. It's like writercap.com back then. It was a few years ago, but I was um, sharing my poetry through online sources, social media and things like that. And I got pretty good feedback. So when I did decide to self-publish, I had a little bit of confidence going into that. And then also uh, family support and things like that. Um, now I currently have four fiction books published. So I've enjoyed the process from writing, um, books to getting people's feedback to publishing and then since I am an editor um, I love helping other people through the process as well as giving them tips um, helping them learn how to self-publish themselves um, and also I mean the editing I like to dive into their ideas how they came to you know, writing their own books, whether it's nonfiction or fiction. Fiction is my love, though. Um, so I do enjoy that a lot. Um, the, the very imaginative part of writing. And then um, with editing, I feel like I've had a lot of success in my eyes because I've helped over 50 clients get to the point where they're confident enough to be like, okay, I'm ready to get my book edited and I'm ready to either self-publish or go out and find a publisher. So it's been very exciting for me, um, for me myself, and then also helping other people um, achieve their dreams in writing a book and things like that. So it, it's been a exciting process for me. I guess I'll go next. Um, hello, everyone. My name's George. My apologies for not looking 
directly at the screen when I'm talking. This is the way that uh, the my mic is and everything is set up. I want you guys to hear me as as well as you can. Uh, my experience when it comes to writing, it I, I was always doing uh, writing a lot of different stories and everything when I was a kid, um, doing little comic strips and then moving over to prose when it got to a point where my artistic abilities were not going to go anywhere. So I just focused more on the writing. Um, I actually uh, did some, wrote some uh, screenplays that obviously never went anywhere when I was in college. Um, then after college, I actually started writing really seriously, like one specific story that I had in mind for a while. And I kept on working at it. I must have done like about 10, 12 different drafts on it. And then in 2001, I started writing the novel of that story. And that eventually became the original version, the first edition of my of my story called From Parts Unknown. And about eight years later, when that one kind of, you know, came out and it died because I had self-published it and my friends and family had gotten it, but then it never went anywhere after that because this was 2002 and that was a time when self-publishing was very much still a stigma where it was looked at as the last last effort for people to get their work out. Oh, you had to pay to get it out. That was That was what they kept on saying. And that's where some people are still saying, but not as much anymore. And I realized that in uh, about eight years later, when I uh, went ahead and self-published uh, my next book, which would be Excelsior, and that one that one's gone through quite an a lot of different twists and turns. Um, it has been picked up by uh, by one self uh, by one small press, and then another one when the first small press went out of business. And um, that uh, this this other self uh, small press that I'm working with right now. They not only have the third edition, which uh, which has gone through a lot of different changes of Excelsior, um, but it, they also have the sequel, Ever Upward. And then um, around 2011, I started re rewriting uh, from Parts Unknown when I realized that I didn't like it anymore, and a lot of the technology was outdated in the story. So I had spent several years basically rewriting that story from top to bottom, and it's now gone from a 234-page novel to this brick right here, which has, you know, like, uh, which is actually a five part serial all put together in one volume. And uh, just like uh, what Tony was saying before about how, um, how an amazing feeling it is to hold your own work in your hands, that's what it feels like every time I pick up from Parts Unknown, just knowing that it had gone through so many different through so many different twists and turns, and it's finally gotten to the point where I'm, I can finally say, I am happy with this story. And um, in addition to having the having those three books out, I'm also working on part three in the Excelsior journey. I'm also a podcaster with two different shows, as uh, as um, as the as uh, the bio was announced before, and um, and then between that and audiobook narrating, I'm having a blast being in this field and I see nothing, nothing but great things uh, for everybody here in the future. Um, I'll go next. I'm Hillary Leftwich. I'm the founder and owner of Alchemy Author Services. Um, I had a very non-traditional start in the writing world. Um, I was a single mother um, struggling with a son with epilepsy, working sometimes three or four jobs, just trying to make it by and 
had always wanted to be a writer. Um, so I found what little free time I had and, and managed to get some opportunities, volunteer reading at different various literary journals. Um, and so I just became a reader at different journals and kind of saw the other end of, of the writing world um, where people were submitting their stories. And I could see why some of them were being rejected from this side. Um, and so that gave me a lot of insight into writing and what journals look for. And eventually um, over many, many, many years um, became an editor at a couple of different journals. And then um, I'm, I started writing my own stories, um, just little, little tiny stories when I had time about all the different jobs I've had and um, taking care of my son and our experiences together and published a collection last year or actually 2019 now. And um, and then uh, I lost my job because of the pandemic last year. And for many years, I was helping to edit my friends and a lot of people in the community in my community here in Denver, uh, their writing, because it was just something that I enjoyed to do doing for them. And I decided, you know what, I'm just gonna go for it and start my own editing business. I've had years of experience under my belt. I think I know what I'm doing. So I went ahead and did that. And it's been a journey for sure. Um, it's been very interesting. And every day I just, I'm so grateful that I'm getting work in. And my main goal really, because I've been there, I've been in a writing world where I didn't feel like I belong. Um, I didn't have an education. I was not an academic. Um, I was struggling with a son raising him by my by myself and I didn't I didn't fit into this this writing world that that everybody hears about all the time and I did for a long time I felt like an outsider but um I started going to open mics and I started reading my stuff and I found a really supportive community and that's what I want to give back. I want to I want to give back and help writers make their words the best that they can be, um, and not change the writer, not change the author, but to help their words and to help them get their words out into the world because I know how important that is, and also how hard it is to do when there's so many obstacles um, up against you. So that's my main goal, and that's what I want to do. Um, and I'm very happy and excited to be here and hopefully answer some questions too. So thank you. I think we covered everyone. You you're on mute. Oh, no, no, you're still okay. So yeah, it's not we, working. So don't hear her for a moment. I'll jump us into the next question, and it's actually geared to myself, George, and Tony, who have gone the self-publishing route, and even Dominique, if she has some other feedback. I know she's here as editor more so than the self-publisher, um, but um, publishing can be done. Self-publishing can be done in a number of different ways. Um, can you talk about the way in which you took and what that and how what that opened up for you? So I'll even jump in and then you guys can answer behind me. I have done it all on my own for the most part for the last few years in terms of I do my layout, I do the cover, the uh, the co book cover, all of that other stuff. And it's been great. And it also makes it less people I have to pay in the long run because I've done it all, right? But then I also know my limitations. I'm actually releasing my next book in a couple of weeks. Um, my editor, who's one of the two on this panel, um, has helped me with that significantly. Tony's helping me because he's more art driven. 
I had to contract an artist. So this time I knew what my limitations were and I've done, I, you start reaching out and you start figuring out what the other options are. And what has it opened up for me? It's gotten me into a lot of conversations that I didn't think would happen. And I, my second book is focused on, um, be, it was part of the, my contribution to the Me Too conversation or Me Too became what it was. And I performed reading from that in my book launch. Somebody got upset, ran out of the room, came back to me at the end and said, thank you. I'm sorry I left because I'm also Me Too. And we had a moment where I was like, when I signed her book, I said, we are more than what has happened to us. So I primarily write, and the biggest thing I get out of participating is not only helping other writers get their writing out, but to primarily also make people not feel alone and know that they're not alone in this world and that we can connect over that. So George, Tony. Um, yeah, so my, my experience when it comes to self-publishing, when I was first getting into everything, when I, was, uh, when I had spent that year and change working on the novelization of my screenplays, what I did was I reached out to an acquaintance who was an agent at the time, and he looked through it and he said, um, I, you know, have you ever thought of self-publishing? And it felt like a slap in the face because of that whole stigma that uh, that was going around uh, self-publishing at that time. Um, but when I when I kind of processed what he was talking about, it what it, the story itself is very niche. And uh, I'm sure, you know, like um, any agent here can back me up. It's always good to, you know, to get something that would appeal to a universal market. And my story just wasn't that. Um, so I just kind of accepted that. And I was very green with all of this. But uh, but I saw um, a promotion with a company called iUniverse. And what they did was they said that uh, for $200, they can do all the setups and, and everything and, you know, get it all printed and get it formatted really nicely. And they will throw in for free an upgrade to hardcover. So I said, sold. That, that just sounds like all, because all I wanted was to just get the book out there. Just wanted to get the story out there because I knew that it, it was something that I felt was worth people's time once they just actually sat down and, and read it. And um, and then eight years later, when um, when Excelsior was finishing up, my plan originally was to go ahead and, and start shopping that around. But then I realized since that particular character, Excelsior, was with me since 1992, and this is 2009, 2010 at this point, um, that was when I was uh, really just kind of at a loss of um, of what to what to go how to go forward because what I was thinking of was I have so much more in mind for this character and for this whole universe of stories. If I sold this to a regular publisher and it came out and it died, then they would have the rights to everything and I wouldn't be able to do anything with it. So I just I went the self publishing route that way as a means of self protection and it was a means of basically just trying to carry on those characters knowing that i would have control over them great um i went the self-publishing route um because well first my route started off i was a curator at at a open mic um and as a curator you run across a lot of different people i had people that came to our events that 
were published um, or self-published their, their work. And seeing them inspired me, you know, I didn't know where to start. So the first few, I was just like, okay, that's good. One day I'm going to do that. <laughs> and, and then I, I ran into um, other people that talked about, you know, the path with me, um, how you do it, the Amazon route. And, and so I decided one day and I was going through a divorce. So I was, I was really in my feelings and poetry was pouring out like crazy but you know the poetry was coming but it wasn't when I sat down to write a book it was like or, or when I sat down to put a book together it was like okay what is this book going to be about so the same thing I told you about purpose um so at first I was just like okay I'm just going to put a collection of my work out because I don't know what I'm doing here and then but my visual artist side came and it was like no what do you want people what what's beyond the, the writing of the poetry and that is the purpose of it. And so then I started to match up poems. Um, I posted on my, on my Instagram, um, like I had my whole wall in my bedroom covered with my poems printed out. And it was like, I didn't do anything with it for about a month. And then I started like looking at similarities of what these poems, I would read them as I'm in the room. Um, but, but I basically started to match them up. What are some similarities with this poem and that poem? Okay. And then I got the master categories, the seven categories. And I'm like, what, how do these things relate to each other? And then all of a sudden it came to me to, to actually, in my book is called Her. And I noticed that all of these poems were from different phases in my life. You know, I had the, the puppy love type of poems. I had, you know, in the marriage, you know, the maintenance poems every holiday or whatever, you know, and then I had these poems that came out after or during the trials and tribulations. And, and so then I, I saw that and I was like, okay, this is the message. It's to show love and its evolution um, and, 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 and learn from my mistakes. And so then it got to the resolve of self-love was absent the whole time I was going through this. And so that was all a process. So one of the things that doing this allowed me to do, uh, allowed for is the evolution of the process. When you sit down and you say, I'm gonna write a book or I have this collection and you want it this kind of way, you kind of restrict the process of actually uh, of growing the book. Cause that's, that's how I see it, you actually grow Grow the the title um, and all of these things just come out of the process. So that led me um, into publishing it. After I did it, I, I have also design skills. So I combined that with the software that I knew how to do. And I was like, I did an all black book. All my pages are black. The the covers, but everything is black and um, and some other design elements that I put in it. So it allowed me that freedom to kind of grow the book. And that is the same process that I use inside of 2i Publishing uh, with my authors. I don't sit down and say, give me your pages and I'm gonna make this miracle happen. No, I sit down and say, what is your purpose? You know, have them as much as possible to get that experience of the self-published route of actually evolving the book, uh, letting the book evolve. But I also am there with skills and things that they may not have themselves to, to help them um, grow. So it, it actually, set me up to be able to give people other other authors and other writers the experience um, of self-publishing 
in a small press um, um, organization or company. Okay. Uh, Eunice, are you with you with Eunice? Can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. There we go. Okay, so before we get into the next question, I actually want to launch a poll just to see in the room, like where is everyone at in their vital level and what kind of industry they're looking into getting into. So if you will look on the screen, you will see our first poll question about where do you fit into the right industry? And we're just going to give a few seconds for people to answer. I see the answers are all rolling in. Okay, so it looks like more than about half of our attendees are aspiring writers. Um, we oh, have good. about 16% who are doing writing as a hobby. 3% is doing it as a career. We have 29% who is already published and 3% um, who is a literary agent. So we have a good mix of people in the room. <laughs> we um, glad to have you and to have you in this discussion as we tailor our things in. The aspiring writers is important for us too because that's why we're doing this conversation so we can help mm. you guys formulate some ideas and move past and learn more. Um, so the next question is actually around the different types of self-publishing and this is for Tony and Dara. So we know that there are many different types of self-publishing options like full and hybrid. Can you discuss the different options for the writers in the room and the benefits of each? Awesome, so I'll start with the full and then Tony can pick up the hybrid. So there's, you can do what I do, which is do everything. I do everything. Everything's in a Word document. I, I have just enough skill. I can fake my cover. I can do all those things. I do everything on my own. I upload my document into um, KDP um, and ta-da, I have a book. That's what I have historically done. Now I've, I've leased out some things, but I'm still the one doing everything. I own the ISBN. I own the copyright, it is my work to do whatever I wish to do with it. There are people who don't have those skills that I have or don't have the time that I have. And that is a-okay, I'm not knocking their hustle. If they have more funds than I have, um, you can also do it the other route, which is you, you hire a company that essentially will do all the publishing work for you. They will do the layout, which means your book may look a little better than mine. I'm not gonna knock that at all. Um, you know, they'll do the layout for you. They'll put it into, they'll get it all ready for you. They'll do all the cleaning that you need to do. You can, um, you can uh, essentially contract as much of the book process as you want and still own the full rights to the book. So there's companies out there that will walk you through it. And then in, in past create space, had a lot of people you can contract to help you through so that you can pull it all together yourself. CreateSpace no longer exists, KDP does. Their process is a little bit different, a little less handholding as you go through, but you can off, you can request anyone to do it. There's also companies that, like I said, there's companies that will do everything. There's a company like Wasteland Press, which actually one of Tony's writers used to publish out of. So she's going to be switching over to him completely, but them, they did her formatting, um, they put it all on Ingram Sparks, which is the other company, which is the main company that most other books actually go filter through at some point. So they put it on Ingram Sparks. They put it on in, um, on um, on Amazon. They did all that work for her. She just had to give them the text. Essentially, they made it look pretty and made a great book for her. The thing is, is that she had to join with a contract. She had to pay them outright to do that work, and then the way it sounds that when they when she orders it, then now some places, like if you do Lulu, you have to order in a certain amount. You can't just buy one-offs. You have to buy a bulk. 
Um, so that happens depending where you go. Some places will let you do it. You'll get a percentage, but you'll, no matter what, someone's eating into your funds. So there was a question about how much does it cost? It literally costs how much you have in your pocket and how much you want to spend. I have released these books with only really paying for my copyright, which is $50 and paying for my ISBN and I bought a whole package. So $300, I could write as many books as I want to within my ability, but I ain't got those skills this time. And with all the things I had to pay people to do, I've this time shelled out two grand. So it all depends on what you have the ability to do. It can be nothing. It can be thousands and thousands of dollars. I have someone else who's publishing her book. She's already $4,000 into this process. It can be whatever you have the ability to do. So again, just going back to the beginning, look at what your resources are. What can you do and what do you need other people to do? And then that will tell you how, how much control or not control you have or how much you need to bring in someone else. And Tony can talk about that hybrid middle ground part. Um, well, it's kind of, to, I guess you covered all of the, the, the self, because the question was actually about um, self-publishing. But um, we did talk about, the question has the hybrid in it. I, it does. I yeah. So the hybrid comes into play when you're talking about actually working with a, a publishing company, um, usually small press. There actually are some medium press that will offer the, the hybrid, but it's all about money pretty much. So you basically, if you do a full um, work with the company, they're going to pay you a royalty usually it's going to be anywhere from 10 to 12%, to 8 to 8 to 12% of the retail net um, value of each book. So in the hybrid, what they introduce is because the reason why you actually get the smaller portion of it, because they're putting up all of the upfront money to market your book, to, to distribute it. All you do is you write the book, you work with them, and then you go and, um, and, and you work with them to get the finished product. But your publishing agreement is you are allowing them to publish this book in whatever, whatever your agreement is. And so they are responsible for everything, all of the costs and everything like that. You, it's kind of like how the mu music industry is, you know, if you get signed, you know, you're not paying for your album anymore after you're signed. Um, someone else is taking the risk on you and they're putting, investing in that project. So that's the same way. And so with the, the full, you don't pay anything, they pull you, they pull you in, they publish your book, and, 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 and then they, they make the profits, they, they send you your check every six months. The hybrid is where now you take a little bit more of the cut because you're going to split the cost. So you may have to pay 50% of the cost um, in the beginning to actually publish your book to pay for the, the cover, you may have to, you know, pay for the half of the editing, but in, in the end, you actually get 50%, you know, they, they, they range based off of the company, but the, the more, I guess, popular one is, the, the one up is the 50%. Um, so you get to share 50% of the royalties of the, of the book sales, and, but you also pay 50% of the price. So you're going half and half uh, with the company. And so that's kind of the hybrid. It's a newer, newer version. Um, I, I, 
I'm actually trying to figure out how to actually incorporate that into my company so that I can help out self-published authors um, that may not be interested in just the traditional switching over completely to the traditional route and maybe meet them ha halfway. They invest the the money in um you know into the project and they reap more reward so it's it's like how serious are you about your writing the easy route the one with less risk you know you you produce a product on your own you do everything or you can have assistance and you you pay half or you can go the full route where you actually have a team of people working for you um and that's a full publishing contract so th that, that's that's those options Okay, so I'm going to um, pull George into this conversation right now. Mm -hmm. um, and George, you have previously self-published, so um, an audience member actually asked this already. Um, so does self-publishing limit your ability to have your book or your manuscript picked up later by a publishing house? Um, and then the second part of the question, and anyone can answer that, um, is that the definition of previously published um, changes for different things, and sometimes being previously published um, can be a hindrance on you trying to publish your work. And some companies um, count social media publishing and, being, and literary journeys as being published. So how can social media, um, be, being published on social media, you putting out your work on like sharing your poem on Instagram or Facebook hinder you as a writer? So George, about being self-published first and anyone can hop in for the second part of the question. Yes, I can. I can uh, definitely talk about uh, the question: Did self-publishing limit your ability to have your manuscript picked up later? Um, in my case, it did not. Um, but my case was a very special case when it comes to Excelsior because Excelsior wound up, you know, doing fairly well for itself. It it didn't it didn't bust down doors and, and everything. It it may it uh, did fairly well on some of the Amazon lists. It didn't hit number one during its self-published time. Um, but when I when I when I went ahead and, and submitted my manuscript uh, to the small press that I did in St. Louis, they I felt like it and and I spoke about this with the publisher because she was saying, um, I see that you're you know it's self-published and it seems to be doing pretty well. Why do you want to go in this direction? And I said, because I feel like I hit the ceiling when it comes to what I can get out of the self-publishing world. I feel like I need to have a publisher that would that that would basically have my back, that would have my support, and it was um, it was it was a it was a great experience working with them. Uh, they were very open to any changes that I wanted to make because the deal was signed in March of 2013. It wouldn't come out until November of 2013, so I had all this extra space to go back into the manuscript add whatever I felt was necessary for those characters, for the story, and even completely got the green light to redo the whole cover. And it was a very freeing experience, but it was definitely a very rare experience because uh, when, it comes to, when it comes to the general publishing world, once a book is self-published, it's nine times out of 10, it's, that's as far as it's gonna go. Because agents, publishers, normally they don't like it when when they don't have the first crack at a book. Um, now I'm saying nine times out of ten because there is that rare experience 
where a book that where a story that's gotten um, tons of exposure on, say, Wattpad, um, tons of uh, tons of exposure in the fan fiction world. I'm talking about both after the book that would that would become after and the book that would become Fifty Shades Grey. Um, both of those had their own starts that wound up getting the sort of fan base that attracted publishers' attention. Um, but normally, nine times out of ten, uh, once the book is self-published, the typically the agent does or publisher don't really want to have anything to do with it unless it has become a huge hit on its own. Um, you know, like I've mentioned after I mentioned Fifty Shades of Grey, there's also um, Hugh Howey's Wool series, and there's also um, The Martian, which was which was huge. That started out as a blog, as a bunch of blog entries by the author. And that wound up getting all the attention that got the that got the attention from the publishers. So it's a very rare occasion when a um, for a book to have a second life beyond self-publishing. So you really, really have to be careful about which direction you want to go in the in that in that realm. Thanks, George. So it sounds to me like if you know your book is going to be a hit, then that's when self-publishing is a little safe if you want it to be picked up later. But um, you said 90% of the time, once you're self-published, the other publishers won't come to you. Um, so the second part of the question was about social media and being published. Like if you put your phone on, on your phone on Facebook, or if you put your um, phone on a social network, like you just want to share it out. Um, how does that affect you being able to be, you know, picked up and be published later? So I can jump in a little bit on that. Um, and I, I, Jim can even jump in there too, probably because that's his forte. But I recently, so a big thing that I realized as I'm in this journey is that I need other people to vouch for me. And as I've tried to get other people to vouch for me, I'm now entering into competitions. Um, I'm submitting my work into literary journals and all those things, because if I can get a little thing on my book, it says a lot more than if I don't have a little award on my book. Um, if people say, oh, she's a good writer, it means a little bit to somebody else that in a market I may not get to so easily. So I realized I have to do that. And as I'm starting to submit, there was one submission that I saw that I was like, yeah, this is great. I'm right there. I fit it. And it said, no, never published, never read, never performed. Like it was, they needed me to come up with a poem immediately and give it only to them. And so you will run into those places that publishing does, and especially depending on the circle in which you're speaking to, publishing does include social media. So your long post that you wrote on Facebook because you were ranting, you go, oh, that's a great, that can be the chapter. It is technically called published because other people have read it. It is out there on a form of media. And so it can hurt you if you see those type of requirements. Some places don't care. Some places that have restrictions, especially as a poet, some one book I'm in says I cannot use this poem again for over uh, until after six months have passed from release of the book. Well, they don't have my poem for six months. I'm going to get ready to release the next book behind this that is a poetry book. The first one coming, the next one coming out is a memoir. But now I don't know when I can release that book because my poems are being held by this one place for a little while, and I would like to use my poems again. So wherever you put it, it does matter. And so unfortunately, in some ways, your Instagram posts then when we publish everything. It is there. And part of it is like, you know, somebody saw it, took it, and now you can't prove you have rights to it or you can't. There's, there's ways that people don't want to get into. So you have to be careful. If you know this is a dope piece or this great book or 
wonderful piece of writing that you need to get somewhere, then you need to get it to where it needs to go. And you don't need to put it publicly to everyone else first. But that's me. Jim, what do you got to say? Yeah, just jumping in as sort of the the the, <laughs> the voice of traditional publishing. Um, it's it's a moving target right now. I think that you know, George is right that for the most part, if a book has been self-published, most publishers and most agents aren't looking at that book as something that can then be republished by a, a legacy publisher. Uh, but that author is someone who could be published. So I am very open to self-published authors for new work that they're doing, whereas I'm more reticent to jump on uh, with something that's already been published just because uh, and sort of like Dara said, you can only make a first impression once. So new material is only new the first time it's published. So, so it's about sort of striking that balance and publishers finding what they think is most marketable. In terms of, um, you know, poetry is such an interesting space right now in traditional publishing because there are a lot of poets becoming famous on Instagram. I think a lot about uh, Ruby Court, uh, who is one of the best-selling authors in, in the country and got her, tar her start entire social media. You know, it, the question is how much exposure can you get? If you are so successful on social media in self-publishing, that people are following you, then traditional publishers will still be interested. Uh, if things are released to you know, little or no acclaim, it doesn't mean you're not going to be able to be published traditionally again. Uh, it just means that particular work probably won't be what publishers are looking to, uh, to publish from you in the future. Thank you. So now we're gonna like move past and go to the other side of the writing industry. So past just the writers, but to the individuals who help the writers get their work out. Uh, I want to bring the editors into this conversation and then Jim, you guys will that. So first I'm going to launch another poll to the audience um, about what are the different types of editing services that editors provide? Does anyone know? So the question is actually, what is not a type of service that the editors provide? So of these, one of them is not something that is um, provided. And the answers are rolling in, and everyone is, you know. Wow, mixed. this is this is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the answers are literally all over the board. This is kind of amazing and interesting. So just just to understand, it's what is not a type of service that an editor provides. So these one these SAT questions that you'll get wrong <laughs> because you read it fast. <laughs> Okay, so seems like um, the one that people don't think um, is provided is better reading and evaluation editing. So Hillary and Dominique, which one of these services? Um, I don't do character editing. I do everything else though. Yeah, character editing is, uh, I don't think, I've never seen any editor just do character <laughs> editing. <laughs> You don't isolate one character and be like, yo, nope. he needs to have. I could, have I guess, pro. if you wanted me to. Right. You know, we might say that character needs a little more depth if it's a main character or something, but we're not just going to look at that one character. 
more with nonfiction, sometimes it just might be the flow of the book, not necessarily character development or things like that. Um, so it's different ways to go about it. Usually through those conversations, I can help them determine what kind of editing that. Yeah, and I, I agree with everything Dominique said. Um, and I highly suggest if, if you can, um, just become part of a writer's group, if you can. That's a great way to get um, feedback, free feedback on your writing. Um, it's not gonna replace uh, an editor, of course, but um, I've, been, I've been lucky enough to be a part of a very um, successful writing group that's really helped me out a lot. Um, and it's a great way to, to see what you can't see. Um, so for like developmental editing, this would be when, when maybe your manuscript is not done. And so you wanna develop it, develop it more. And this would be where that would come into play. Um, structural editing has more to do with like the big picture um, once the, the manuscript is complete. Um, how do you know what's needed? Generally, I like Dominique, I, I will meet with the client and just kind of go over um, what it is they're looking for, um, what their goals are. And then I'll, I always do a sample edit as well. And the sample edit is really important because I may not work well with this specific client and it doesn't have to be for any specific reason, um, but I've had that happen uh, a couple of times. And so I actually refer them to somebody else, to another editor that I think might be a better fit. Um, and that could be because of it's too academic or whatever it might be. There's lots of different reasons, but the sample edit always tells me if I feel like I'm going to work well with this person. And also when I give that sample edit back to the client or possible client, then they'll know, well, maybe this isn't the best editor for me for whatever reason. And you want to have a good partnership with your editor. You want to be able to ask them questions and not have them get upset with you or anything like that. These are your words. And an editor should never, um, they should push you enough to want to improve your writing, but they shouldn't challenge you or try and change you as a writer specifically or your background or anything like that. Um, that's not the job of an editor. Um, it's really important for writers to use an editor and not just say, well, I've read this manuscript of mine 10 times and I know it inside and out. Well, the thing is, you, you become blinded to your own words um, when you read them enough. You don't see the mistakes. You don't see, more importantly, like the big picture, right? Because you're so used to reading it over and over and over again. Um, so that's why I know it, it, it costs money, but if you're serious about what it is you wanna do with your manuscript, if you're really serious, you're going to have to put some, some effort and some money into it. And that might include hiring a professional editor. And that might really depend what type of editing you need for it as well. Um, but that person is a professional and they will be able to help you get your manuscript where you want it to be if they're a good editor. And um, to piggyback off of what she said about um, the editor not being one to kind of tell you um, we more so suggest and because ultimately it is your book at the end of the day. Um, I've had people where I've done edits and 
maybe they didn't agree with it. They're like, well, I'm going to keep that. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But I do also mention if it's, if it seems like a big enough issue, I do mention that, you know, you may get penalized in your reviews for, you know, this, that, and the other. So um, it's just a back and forth. And like she said, you have to have a good relationship with your editor. I do the same. If, if I'm not a good fit for someone, I do recommend them to another editor that I feel um, might be a better suit, even financial wise too. I've had people where they're like, I really need your services, but I, I may not be able to afford them. So if I can work with them, I do, but if it's too much of a drop or something like that, I do recommend them to another editor that might be in their budget as well. And as editors, we should be able to respect your writing enough where you feel comfortable in coming to us with certain questions or being like, hey, I rewrote this section. Let me know what you think. It should definitely be a back and forth. <laughs> can, can I jump in for two seconds? I know there's other, another question coming, but it, someone asked us in the chat and I think it's an, it ties directly to what you just said. Um, someone said they've been writing for all these years. Do you still suggest not self-editing? <laughs> no, you, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, don't, don't do it. <laughs> um, so, I mean, like, well, I was going to pivot to before you answer, Dominique, the, the question actually is the person is an editor themselves. They've been doing oh. the editing capacity um, as their career for um, a few years. Should Now they're also trying to become a writer. Should they um, get another editor or because they have editing experience, can they edit their own book now that they're turning into a writer? I'm a writer I, and an editor. I, I, I do not edit my own stuff. <laughs> um, I think it can, it can be a plus, but you definitely should at least get a proofreader if you're not going to get a developmental editor. Um, I've, so I've done the self-publishing thing and I also have been under um, a small publisher. And even with that small publisher, you know, she was happy that I was an editor. She may have paid a little less to have someone else edit my book, but I still had an editor for my books. And it's, it's also interesting as being an editor and then seeing someone else edit your work. Cause you're like, oh man, you know, I tell my clients this, but I completely miss this in my own writing, you know, and yeah. that doesn't discredit us as being editors. It's just like, Hillary said, you know, we get so used to reading our own words that sometimes we can't see it or, you know, it's so close to home for us and we're biased, you know, it's like, okay, well, I want this in here. That makes sense. And then someone else might read it and be like, wait, that doesn't make sense. You know, you need to go and do this, that, and the other. And then also, um, I, my publishing experience was decent. Um, I did move back to self-publishing, but also um, I was lucky enough to, with my second book under that publisher, she did not get an editor for me, but I was lucky enough to have that book published through her. And I actually got a comment as a review saying I had like zero to no errors and things like that. So, I mean, I was happy with that, but I do still recommend even editors should, should have an editor. Thank you. So now I'm going to pull Jim into this as let's talk about being a literary agent. So we've been talking about writing, we've been talking about editing, we've talked about publishing, but the literary agent also fits into this equation. Um, and before we ask the questions for you, we have our last poll question tonight. And to see from the crowd, what do you think is the best way to get someone like Jim to be a literary agent? I'm just going to say, I know Jim personally, so bribing him with cookies may be <laughs> work, but I don't know. I haven't tried it yet, but... That's specific just to me. <laughs> that just may work. 
Okay. Which kind of cookies, though? <laughs> Pretty much any. <laughs> <laughs> the Keebler Elves, in any one of those. <laughs> okay, so most of the audience said that the best way is to submit query letters to many agents and then see, you know, which one you land on. Um, from my research, you said there's um, like two main paths that people take to get picked up by the agent. One, the first is the regular process of they write a book or they write their proposal and query, and then they send it to the different agents when they're ready to be represented. And then the agent will then send you a book around to be published if they, you know, become your agent. The second method being that if you are like an established writer based on your public work, maybe your blog. Um, and you have like a huge following, you have different things that the agent like notices that they will reach out to you as a writer to act to represent you. Um, so one, as an agent, what one of these methods do you usually go by? And what advice would you give writers who are looking to find an agent? As well as how does this fit into the process? Sure. So um, in terms of sort of you sending queries versus me going out and, and, and reaching out to someone, especially on the fiction side, you probably are always going to have to go out and find uh, an agent, which means going through uh, the querying process. And I'll talk a little bit about some uh, websites you can look to for information on, on who to query. Uh, in terms of, of agents reaching out to people, that tends to be on the nonfiction side, or if someone becomes uh, quite famous for something they've written, then we might reach out. I know, um, a lot, a lot of friends on Wednesday were frantically scrambling to find Amanda Gorman to see if she was published already or represented. Um, everybody wanted to publish her book. Uh, she had already sold it. She already had an agent. Um, but it's that sort of, you know, if you get a lot of acclaim and, and we know someone's going to be able to sell your sell copies of your book, then we reach out. Um, and a little bit just on sort of what the role of the agent is. Um, an agent is never paid until you are paid. Uh, we receive a commission, which is a percentage of your earnings, but it only happens once we've sold your work. Uh, so you should never pay an agent out of pocket uh, in, in any circumstance. Uh, and, and what you get for the commission is someone who is essentially on your team. Uh, the role of an agent is to edit your work to the point that they believe they can sell it um, to the best of their ability, uh, which doesn't mean editing it so well that it's ready to put a cover on and release it, but uh, editing enough that when we send it to publishers, uh, they see the, the path forward and they see the audience for it. Uh, so, so the agent is your editor. Uh, they are your advocate. They are the one sending your material out, negotiating your deals, making sure that you are uh, well uh, treated and handled by your publisher, that you're getting the attention you deserve, that things aren't going astray. Uh, and, and, and most importantly to me, uh, as someone who looks to work with people uh, very long term, your agent is your advisor. You're someone who you're working with not just to sell one book, but to really find a partner for your career who can tell you what to work on next, how long between projects, who can 
you know, give you advice on whether to change genres, whether you might want to consider a pseudonym, whether, you know, you can write for, you know, picture books and adult fiction and a memoir. It's, you know, I, I, it's, my job is really just to sort of help people uh, get through the publishing process, which is very difficult, um, as unscathed as possible, and hopefully build uh, the best career that they can. Um, in terms of finding an agent, I'm gonna send uh, the names of three websites to the chat. Uh, Query Tracker is a free website uh, where you can look up any agent uh, and get information on how quickly they respond to queries and also a lot of information on what they're looking for and whose work they've sold in the past. Uh, Manuscript Wishlist is a website where Individual agents can choose to go and talk about what they're looking for. Um, we might have, uh, you know, authors we wish we represented alongside authors we do represent, uh, what we're most looking for that we're not seeing at a particular moment. Um, and then Publishers Marketplace uh, is a paid site. Um, I think if you've done all of your research uh, on the free sites and you wanna do one last pass of who you're going to, uh, it can be great to do a one month subscription to Publishers Marketplace if, if you can afford it. Um, it's about 20 to $25 uh, and it's a place where you can look up every client uh, that an agent has and where they've sold their book uh, and in some cases how much they've sold their book for. Um, and in terms of, you know, uh, what having an agent means for your career, it, on the traditional or, or legacy publishing side, whichever you choose to call it, it's really a, a question of access. We have relationships with editors at the major trade publishing houses from Penguin to Random House to Simon & Schuster, Macmillan, Hachette. Uh, there are people we know, there are people we've sold to before, we have precedent agreements so that you're not getting uh, their sort of most uh, egregious first draft of a contract. Um, we're going to work to get you the best percentage rates, um, but we're also getting you in the door because a lot of these publishers will only uh, consider your work if you are represented. Uh, so, so for a number of those publishers, it is, it's, you know, you have an agent so that you can uh, get, get through the door and get on these editors' um, uh, desks. Um, Jim, I had a question. I, I know this kind of, <laughs> um, but um, I know some people may, have be, may be asking, um, like what, cause you're actually selling them to the the um, what do you call it <laughs> the the traditional um, publishers. So, what type of things? Because it's just like a career. Like you're not gonna go and try to get into a Fortune 500 company, you know, right off the back. Um, <laughs> so, what type of experience? What type of things? You know, um, how do they create this resume that makes them more marketable? You know, because having a whole bunch of followers, I know is probably one thing that you could sell, um, but what else can, 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 a, can a person do if it's not like right now, how could they get to the point where they're actually like, I'm literary agent ready? <laughs> sure, I think that, especially on the nonfiction side, we talk a lot about platform 
Uh, that does have to do with things like follower numbers on social media. The more people uh, you have access to, the more people you can sell your book to and, and make aware of your book. Um, if you have an incredibly popular blog, if you've had a piece published in um, you know, acclaimed publications, be they literary journals or you know, a big name newspaper, if you've been published by, you know, the Missouri Review or the New York Times, they, you know, they, they weigh very different amounts, but they're both incredibly important. Um, and they both uh, indicate the seriousness of the author uh, to be published and to be part of the publishing uh, uh, machine. Um, in terms of fiction, it's less important. I think fiction really if you write a great novel, it doesn't matter so much who you are or, um, or how many followers you have. Um, so, so the novelists, you get to stand a little bit more on just the strength of your own work. Um, in terms of poetry, uh, to, to break into traditional publishing, Traditional publishing doesn't do a ton of poetry. Um, and when they do, it tends to be people who have been uh, published an extraordinary amount um, in you know, the highest level journals. There's, or, or they're incredibly famous. So you have kind of like Ruby Core who brought hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers, or you have, um, <laughs> I suddenly can't think of a single famous poet, um, or you have like a Jericho Smith who's been published in the New Yorker um, and, and is getting out there that way. Oh, so <laughs> so it's, it's tough. It's, um, you know, uh, I, poets, I feel for you. It is, uh, it is an especially difficult part Thank of the business. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome, Dara. Um, but yeah, that, that is another area where, you know, I just wanted to point out one of the things that you said, because it was something that I mentioned that I want to go into, but um, the fact of building up your resume, because a lot of people that are here are probably like, okay, my goal is to write a book, you know, and, and one of the things that I tell um, my authors is that, you know, book sales, and that is not, that is not the focus here. The, the focus is your brand. So you write a book, but you are actually a brand, a walking brand. What are what you're offering to someone, no one else will give it to them in the same package with the wordplay, with all of the, the things that you do. So it's important that you look further out, look at how far you can reach further than just publishing a book. But like George has a podcast, that's part of his brand, you know, and 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 so you mentioned being in, in inside of um, inside of publications and also journals. So I think writing, when you're talking about the business of writing, it's not about writing a book per se. It's about your brand as a writer and and how you can reach out further than just the book. And I and I tell my people all the time, I was like, you know, Jay-Z, Beyonce, just as an example, they don't have to make music anymore because their brand has reached so far out past music that they can just, you know, play with music now, just as I'm going to drop this and watch the world go crazy, you know? So it's, it's something that you should think about, not only writing as a author for one book, but writing as a business. So I, 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 that was a leading question to get to that 
resolve. Um, and, and I thank you for 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 answering that. That that was actually great. Awesome. Yes, we're actually going to hop into pricing and finances right now. Um, there's a lot of questions in the chat to you. Um, so let's talk about finances because although writing can be a passion, it can also be responsible. Um, for book sales, I know you just said it's not all about the sales. <laughs> different book types like often get you more money. Um, so it's been said that hardcovers would offer the most money in terms of profit, followed by ebook, audiobook, and paperback. So, what should authors be considering as they want to publishing around cost and finances, around types of books, around types of services? In the chat, we do have some questions about, you know, the cost of editing. What's the service prices for editing service, and how are they being billed? Jim, you also answered around the printed sentence that literary agents um, got get. So I don't know if it's easier if I say, like, we have a, I just got a million dollar book deal. How do we break down these prices um, to get the editor, to get the agent, to get the publisher, to get the cover art? What am I actually going to walk away with? Let's, like, if that's easier to talk with a million dollar figure and, like, break it down for the authors, let's go there. Um, uh, are we talking about self-publishing or are we talking about, like, because the prices change depending on which one. He set us up really well for Jim to start answering this question first. We'll start with Jim and then work our way yeah. backwards. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so in, in traditional publishing, um, you are paid in advance against uh, future royalty earnings. So, so I mean, <laughs> a million is, is quite the rare number, but a very exciting one. Uh, so say you had an agent who charges a 15% commission, that means $150,000 would go to the agent. Um, and then beyond that, you're not in traditional publishing, uh, you're not paying for your editor, you're not paying for your cover, you're not paying for your publicist. Uh, you might have paid for an editor uh, to go over your work before you sought out an agent, um, in which case that, that fee you, you would bear, um, but your editor at the publisher is, um, it is someone who is is part of the sort of lump sum that they're paying you. You are entitled to their work um, and to a copy editor and to a cover designer. All of that is sort of part of the package. So the kind of the great thing about traditional publishing is that it, it all sort of comes, you know, wrapped in a bow. The well, I shouldn't say terrible because, you know, I'm here, you know, rep representing traditional publishing. The, the potentially negative side of, of traditional publishing is that you give up a lot of control. Uh, you're not writing the copy on your book. You don't have final say on the cover. You're not choosing fonts. You're not choosing design elements. Um, and you don't really know necessarily exactly what your publicist is doing. So, so, they, so it's the trade-off. You, know, you don't have to think about all of these things. Um, that's the good news. The bad news is that if you do think about all of them, you might not have as much say as you want. Okay, so for self-publishing, I don't know if the million dollar deal actually works, but hop in to talk yeah. about pricing that way. So I'll jump in first, because I know Tony's probably got a lot more to say than I do. But if, again, and I just, I'm just gonna reiterate sort of what I said before, in that like, you really, it really just depends on what you're willing to spend. What, what can you spend? What, what do you have to spend? Because, and how much skill do you have? Because I started this and I literally was messaging a friend and I was like, how do I do this? Can I use this for a cover? He said, yes. And I just redrew that picture a million times. I put it on Amazon. 
before it was create when it was create space and they said oh your image is low quality i said bet i'm gonna go make it darker and better and see if that works and that's how i got to my cover that's how i got to where it all happens and then i put it in a word document but i have some cheats in my book that i don't recommend and even i just helped edit someone else's book that just got released and when i helped format her book i couldn't cheat the same way because for my book of poetry i can play with margins and not adhere her book it required a different skill set than that because her book had a lot more prose in it and so the margins not aligning up would be a lot more obvious it would be a lot more tell that it was self-published so it is again who can you pay to do that and i have people right now my cousin just released her book she used the company the company to make it an ebook they're hitting the price that she can't afford and so i said great go to fiverr they can probably do it a lot cheaper to format it to the ebook since you have everything else done so it really depends on what you have access to, how much money you you want to put into it, and who you can ask for help. Because none of my flyers have been made by me, and I've never been charged by them because I got friends who can do it, and they help me out there. Like so, there's different. Like who do you know? And what I've learned in the last year more than anything is you have friends who can do things. And I'm not saying ask your friend who can edit if they don't have a degree, if they don't know how to put words together. They don't. If it's your home girl who like, yeah, I want to read it. That doesn't count. But if you have people who have those skill sets who love you, who are willing to also step in, ask for them because that's how you get all of these pieces together. So you can do it on almost no budget. It will cost you to buy ISBN. It will cost you to um, copyright. After that, the sky is the limit on whatever your budget is. Uh, I just wanted to say one quick thing. I think for me as a self-published author, I probably spend the most money in marketing just because I suck at it. So I definitely pay other people to do it for me. <laughs> um, I also wanted to, she just said ISBN. That is the, the thing that's on the back of the book. You know, it's like your social security number for your book. Um, you can get one free through Kindle or usually any of the, the places that you go to to print your book, um, self-publish. But it means that you and someone else, um, you basically, you can't, they basically have the publishing rights in a way, I guess it's some kind of um, like small print type of thing where, you know, you can't move that book, you know, over to a publishing company uh, without changing the, the format or changing something about it and having a new edition. Um, so you want to buy your ISBN number so that you have that control over, over that, um, your book. Um, and that's $85 if you buy it single. Um, so that's, you know, that some people say, okay, I can get it free and I don't know. You know, it's all about what you plan to do. So if you're doing this as your, your purpose, again, going back to that, if your purpose is to actually be serious about your career as a writer um, and think of yourself, I always say it as well, um, you are a business, you own your time. Even when you go to work, all it is is a contract between you and your employer. And so a lot of people get into you know regular regular day-to-day -day life and it's like oh i hate going to work but really that's your contract and you have ownership of your time and so you give that time to them um you can go and get another contract with anyone else so just in the same light 
you are a business of your time. So this is a product that your business is actually producing. So are you, do you have the means to, um, to actually invest the money to do it the professional way? If not, if you're just trying to just, you know, see what this is about, or you don't have the means to actually financial means to do it, then, you know, get experience, you know, maybe make a small book, don't make a Bible and, and, and put it on, on Amazon, you know, make maybe a small chat book and, and just, or, or for, for those that actually write um, nonfiction novels, you can maybe do a short story and, and just, and just put it out there and then let your friends read it. It'll be something more communal to kind of test your market. You know, then, then you get feedback. Um, like this is, this is great. And you kind of get experience in, inside of the industry. Um, but when you're looking at going the route of a small press, um, I, I do, I know um, Jim was saying that, you know, you, you don't get control over a lot of different things. Um, I actually run mine a little bit different. So you do actually work with me on the, the you know, the formatting in, 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 and the, in the cover and all of that stuff. Because again, I want it to be kind of like the experience of doing it on your own with help, you know, with someone that can actually, um, I mean, I, I basically present things to you and then you choose, um, but you also can put input in and, um, and, and, and kind of feel engaged in the process. Um, but when it, in, in the traditional route with, with us, you don't have any expenses up front. So the way that it, or actually you don't have any expenses the whole process except for your own marketing on your own, um, you know, doing your own own marketing for your brand and you as a writer. But as uh, far as the cost of the book being printed, the cost of, of, all of all of those things, they're not actually upfront costs that you have to pay a thousand dollars upfront to get the first, you know, shipment of books. That's what you would be doing in the self-publishing route. And I've, I've been there and, um, and I was lucky to actually, you know, know how to do the cover, know how to, 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 to navigate the websites to also copyright is something that a lot of people don't you know, it's not just you put copyright on a page, <laughs> you know, um, you actually have to go to the United States Department of, I forgot what is the acronym, but, um, but you have to go there and <laughs> what is it? You go, you can just go to copyright.gov. Okay. Copy, just Google copyright, <laughs> copyright.gov. And um, <laughs> I haven't saved as a link, uh, so I don't commit it to memory, but you, you have to go there and actually submit your, your work to be copywritten and then you get a, a um, I don't have it next to me, but um, you get a certificate that says your work has been copywritten. Um, and as an author, even during doing the route of the small press, you I register it in the author's name because that's who, who receives the copyright because that's their, their work, the contents. So, um, and I think there was an illustrator question in there as well. So illustrators, you can go to Fiverr and it ranges, you can pay $10 and get a stick figure, I'm just playing. But <laughs> there's some awesome people that do it for $10 too. But, um, but they're fat, they're producing these things quickly. So your, your quality 
is represented by the amount of money that you pay for something. And you also have control over that too. You can send it back. I think they give you a certain number of revisions. So um, when you're doing my route, the route with, with our small press, um, we, we kind of do that um, for you. I'm an illustrator because um, I have that background, but you know, I'm busy, so I don't really do every book, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, so th those, those are options. Someone else can talk, sorry. And I'm, yeah, thanks. I was just gonna add in right before. I, oh, I was gonna. Well, was the, gonna... after we talked, Dominique and Hillary um, about editing prices, he wanted to know, is it by page, by hour? Um, just talk about that for them. Okay, so let me, I'm gonna jump behind um, Dominique's other point, and then I will stop talking. But to that point about the things that cost. So I just said it could cost you nothing to make it, which is absolutely true. And I dropped it in the chat that after she said the whole point, she pays for um, for actual uh, uh, promotion and marketing. I will say where most of my money disappears is when, again, when outside was working, is tabling. I cost to table somewhere and different types of events have different levels of cost. And then you have to do a break even analysis on some level. Is it worth it for me to show up to this event that has a $300 table fee if I'm only gonna sell $100 worth of books? And then you still have to buy the books and you still have to have the marketing materials at your table so that people wanna come and look at it. So that is actually, generally speaking, where most of my money goes. It's in buying the stock when I'm going to table. It's depending on the table. So I definitely do a range of tables. The, the $40 table is, oh, godsend, love it. But I have to also go to the $300 table because I need to be seen places and I need people on my list. And so I have to figure out what I'm getting, even if I'm paying for something that I can't, I'm not getting the sales from. I still need to be seen and those pictures mean something to somebody else. So it means you take a picture, you do a thing and people are like, oh, you were there. I need to go buy your book because I forgot to go do that. So or you get my, my mailing list exponentially has grown because I was tabling. So there's a lot more people I'm touching that I would have touched before. So again, your prices comes into, you, you may not be paying initially, you are paying in the long run. And I would just argue while Tony and, um, uh, Jim will say that you're not paying anything. You're paying a whole bunch of people to do the work for you and you get what they pay you. So you just have to decide what do you want to own? Do you want to get all the money that's coming in from your book specifically, or do you want to um, get the money from, or do you want to give, let them do all the work and then get whatever they want to give you at the end. And I mean, that's contracted and such, but that's what you need to think about when you decide which route you're going to go. Are you going to pay out or do you want to be paid? depending. I think that was the bad way of phrasing that question, but you get my point. I'm done talking, Dominique and Hillary. I know you responded in the chat a little bit, but yes, there are those questions about the cost in terms of what it costs for you guys. Um, so I can't speak for any other editor because every editor has their own pricing and how they do things. But for me, um, I price my, um, my editing costs based on word count. And I came to that conclusion and the way that I do things like that is uh, initially I was charging by the hour or it was hour or page count, um, one of those. But I, after analyzing and, and going through some numbers and stuff, for me, it didn't feel fair because if you go by page count, um, anyone could have any size font, any amount of words in those pages. So I decided doing it by word count was fair for everybody paying the same price because someone could have 200 pages. I could have two clients with 200 pages and one of them could have 10,000 words and the other one can have 20,000 words. 
And that's based off how they size their font when they give it to me, how many words that are actually on a page, you know, things like that. And so if I do it by word count, even if I have someone with 20,000 words and 20,000 words and one has a 100 page book and a 200 page book, they're still both paying equally the same amount for the same amount of work. Um, and so uh, with word count, my standard is uh, two cents a word. Um, that only goes up if there's more work that's uh, involved in the editing process. Or I have two services. I have a regular um, editing service. Book is completely done. You hand it over to me. I edit through it. We talk about the feedback after. And then I also have a semi-coaching editing service, which is you may not be finished with it, but you know where you want to be at. But in between, you want to maybe go chapter by chapter with me to edit. Then we talk about it, make sure that it's going to flow per perfectly into the next chapter, things like that. And that cost is twice as much for sense of words. So, and then I, um, I have other services that come with that as formatting. Um, there are some editors that it included, some don't. Um, if you have an editing service, I just include it in the, the process of editing. Once we finalize your edits, I'll go ahead and format it. But I do also have it as a separate service if you've already had editing done and you just need formatting. So um, I did put a link in the chat to my, um, my services page. So you can kind of browse that it does have the pricing and it does break it down. But ultimately, I do mine based off of word count formatting is done by pages, but everything else. Yeah, and I to bounce off Dominique, I, I use the industry industry standards as a baseline. Um, but I actually, um, I figure out what I'm going to charge on an individual basis as well. It's only fair uh, when I do my sample edit. And I usually do pages uh, per hour. Um, so I'll time myself and I get all different kinds of, of writing. So each different type of writing is going to vary. I could get a poetry manuscript and then um, a memoir and they're, they're both going to be very, very different. Um, so I'll time myself and see how long it takes me uh, based off the sample edit. And then I'll go off the industry standard, for example, um, like a basic copy editing if it takes me five pages an hour, um, the industry standard on the lower end is $30 an hour. Um, I always offer discount to single parents, um, teachers and friends or acquaintances as well. Um, so it all just kind of, it, it really depends uh, on what, what you're giving me and how long it takes me. And I try and be very fair um, based off my sample edit. I never do across the board, it's just, like Dominique was saying, it's just not fair to do it that way. Thank you. Um, so I just want to put this one. Dara mentioned too, and you, Hillary mentioned the discounts. I'm of the Dara notes. I'm of the philosophy that you should pay your friends and don't do discounts for people. I like to pay full price if my friend is an author. Do not offer me a discount because you are in the business. So <laughs> Dara was mentioning about how, like, if your friend can edit yourself. If you are a writer, I know you're trying to keep your cost low, but please pay your friends as well because they need to be in business as well. Um, just putting that out there. Um, so we had a question, which is actually about like the beginning stages of writing. So let's go here before we dive into the rest of these Q&A questions. So as a writer that you have so many ideas and so many thoughts, how do you organize such thoughts to become a central idea that will manifest into a book? For me, I outline. Um, 
I, I'm a very organized person. Outlines are my best friends. So if I have multiple ideas, um, I go through, I'll sit down and like look at all my ideas and I'll write outlines to them. And whichever one that I feel like I have the most information for or that I feel I'm most excited about at that time, I'll just start writing that one and see where it goes. I think, honestly, we never know where a book's gonna go until we actually start. That's, that's for me personally. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta, I gotta second the outline, um, the outline answer. That's something that I found has really helped me. Um, a lot of people like to. There's, there's. They say that there are two kinds of people. There are plotters and there are pantsers. And the, when they say pantsers, that basically means that they're doing stream of consciousness. They just want to get every word down on the page and then figure out where the story goes as they write. Um, I am much more of a plotter. I want to know where the story's going to go. So I'm all about putting that map in there, figuring out where the what the beginning is, what the middle is, what the end is. Once I have that as a um, as, as pretty much like a skeletal structure, because it's likely not going to be that same route that I had in mind. There are going to be twists and turns along the way as you're writing it. And so you're basically just going to be finding in, finding out all the, all the finer details. But when it comes to um, when it comes to whether it's going to, um, you know, plotting or pantsing, I'm much more of a plotter. I need to know at least I have to have some idea of where this is going to go. Yeah, and I think it depends on like what you're writing because I'm a poet. I'm writing poetry all the time in 27, 2017. I don't know where what year we're in. We're gonna chalk it up to COVID. In 2020, I wrote 374 poems. What am I doing with those? Who knows? No clue yet. But I will go and pull it all together and do it that way. And I'm about to release my memoir in the next month. And that said, I wrote a bunch of essays about moments of my life around a theme. And then I wrote about 20 essays. There's only I cut about probably five of them out only because I didn't, I was like, nah, not really, not working. I don't. It doesn't fit. And I just throw them out. So, and I think that lends to that. But if you're writing a story and you're really coming with a narrative, yeah, you need to be planning that sucker. Even if it shifts, you need to plan that. If it's your life and you know your life and you're going with essays, then it doesn't it doesn't have the same thing because you can also find out what's missing. Every time I put my book together, I stop and go, okay, now I have my book of poetry together. Am I missing something now that I know what the theme is? And then I write to those pieces. So the, there's always like three or four pieces that get written to the book when I'm almost done because finally I can go, oh, there's things missing. And so let me write that other poem. Let me do that other thing. So it really depends on what your what type of writing you are doing. Okay, so I'm trying to get through these Q&A questions as fast as possible because we're approaching time. Um, so there's a couple of questions around publishing um, in, the, in the chat. So for self-publishing, um, they want to know if there's any genres that's friendly or than others for people to publish in? And then two, how long does the process take if you're going to traditional publish or if you're doing self-publish? And then Jim, just any other publishing and literary agent um, feedback you had? I can say for the first part for self-publishing, you do well, well, you do poetry because like Jim said, there's not a lot of market for it in a traditional sense. So you're better off sort of doing your route. You're better off doing the competitions that will help you put out the chapbook that will sign you that way to build up your name and cred. There's a lot of poets. It's probably better to go with the self-publishing or the competition route. Um, but 
when it comes to children's writing, children's books, especially if you're doing people of color children's books, they're like, if you black, like, you know, something, you, it costs a lot because your pictures cost money, your ink costs money to print those books, but everybody wants them. Everybody wants a book about an ethnic child saying good things, and then everyone knows a child in their life. So you are in a sweet spot if that's the route you're going. So it all depends on what you're building. I think you do find that it's, every book can go self-published, but those are the two. You land in poetry because poetry is not as easily traditionally done. And your children's book, while it takes a lot of work and you can definitely do the Fiverr route, you have to vet them and tell them specifically what you want in the concept of images, but you will make your bank in children's books. And I totally forgot the part about traditional publishing and what you asked. I'm so sorry. Can you repeat the question? They were asking about the time it takes to get um, traditional published to go through the fall. Right, right, right. So um, if you sign me as your agent, it takes me about a month to send my edit notes. Uh, once you've edited your book and we agree that it's ready to go out, I'll go on submission to about uh, 10 editors of publishing houses at a time. Uh, from there, a sale can take anywhere from 24 hours to 10 months. It's really kind of amorphous and flexible and it depends on you know, how enthusiastic uh, the publishing community is about the book at that time. Once a book has been contracted, it's about 12 to 18 months before you're gonna see it in a bookstore. Uh, it's going through the editorial process with your editor, it's going through a copy edit, uh, it's going to the publicity and marketing team so they can start sending copies out to get blurbs, uh, to get reviews. Um, it's it, it can be a lengthy process. And to, and to, to jump off what um, Dara said about uh, picture books or children's books, um, those can take even longer because you have to find an illustrator. If you're, if you're the writer and not the illustrator, finding the illustrator and then having the illustrator do their work and then having all of the printing you know, I think the first picture book I sold, I sold about two years ago and it's not coming out until uh, next year. Um, so it was a three year gap, but then I sold another one a year after that, which came out two weeks ago. So picture books and heavily illustrated stuff, it's, um, it's really open. It can take a very long time, um, but you're probably looking at about uh, two to three years in so while we're on while we're on children's books and illustrators, um, someone asked in the chat, how do you get an illustrator for children's books? And then for books in general, with um, with children's books or any regular book that you're publishing, about the copyright. So if you are as a writer, you copyright your book. Um, does the artist also copyright their art that you have on the book? And how does that work with the book being copyrighted? Uh, to jump in for traditional publishing. Um... If you're looking for an illustrator, the publisher will go out and find the illustrator and they will get paid the same amount to illustrate the work as you got paid to write the work. So if you get $10,000 for the words, they get $10,000 for the images uh, and everything is sort of split down the middle from there. Uh, and the copyright is shared by the author and the illustrator and that is handled by the publisher who will register it uh, with the copyright office. And then I'm totally gonna make a, a little show and tell of the first picture book that I ever had come out because I'm really proud of it. <laughs> so while he does that, I'm gonna ask, there's a slight question is building in that when, as we talk about copywriting. So I just wanna make sure that we are a little clear there. So in theory, 
no, whatever you wrote is copywritten, you wrote it is proof that you get the certification primarily to if something should happen and you need to go to court. Therefore, you can prove it. You can normally when I do my books before I hand it to editors, I have sent it into copyright. So they usually come the copyright and the book sort of land at the same time. That is not what's happened this time. I'm going to copyright my book right before I'm about to print it because we've done so many edits that I just want it to be like right and then there. But the moment you even apply for your copyright, it is copyright into that year that you applied. Um, the copyright website has gotten complicated and funky. It's a little bit less fun than it used to be or easy, but it is still relatively cut and dry. But anything you put, if you put it, if you write it, it is yours. You just don't want to get into the point where you someone stole something. And I've had someone steal something from me and I've had to try to backtrack and prove that I had it before they stole it. So you definitely want to just be mindful of that. It does happen. Um, and then if you if you wrote it, you put it on your Facebook wall or your Instagram, and then you put it in your book, it doesn't matter. You owned it all the time. You can do whatever you want with it. Now, do you want to put your whole book on Instagram before you actually put it in your book? Probably not. <laughs> you may want to be selective on how much you're putting out there, but the copyright is still yours. But again, remember I said earlier, and about and as I was about to apply for one of those competitions, the rule was very clear that it could not have been put anywhere. I could have never even read it. And so sometimes I read my poems on Instagram that is still counting as published. That still means that they don't want to use it. So therefore you just want to be cautious about all the ways in which you use it because you may own the rights, but now someone else doesn't want to touch it. So you have to just sort of be mindful of how you navigate. But if you wrote it, it's yours. The copywriting is just really solidifying that it's yours. And they do searches when they go through it to make sure you're not copying someone else's writing anyway. So it's best to just keep with that. Okay, show and tell, Jim. This is I Dream of Papa uh, by Livia Blackburn, illustrated by Julia Kuo. Um, the exciting thing about this book is that it was written by a Taiwanese-American immigrant uh, illustrated by a Taiwanese American immigrant and edited by a Taiwanese American immigrant. And what these three people have said about the process in the launch was that uh, in a business that has long defaulted uh, to sort of upper middle class uh, white people that they individually as author, illustrator and editor have not had the chance to have the experience of publishing uh, where they can all sort of talk in the same shorthand uh, and not have to explain their culture uh, to their editor or to their illustrator. So it was, um, for me, just a really rewarding experience. Uh, and I hope people like it. Thank you. So we're actually um, going to wrap up the last question. Oh, um, one, one of the questions that you asked were how you find an illustrator, correct? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So it's various now because of the internet and everything. Um, you you can do Fiverr. I believe I believe they have um, illustrators on there as well. Um, but let's say you go to an Instagram page and you like their drawing, you can reach out to them and work out an agreement with them to to illustrate your book. Um, you you can if you know an artist and you want them to illustrate your book, you know, you can do it that way. You know someone that knows an artist, <laughs> you know, um, when you go the traditional route, all of that's handled for you, you know, um, but when you are self-publishing, you know, it's kind of a little bit more open. You can get, get an illustrator anywhere, you know, you can have, 
your kids illustrate your book, you know, <laughs> whatever you can, you can think outside the box um, and stuff like that. Actually, I'm working on a book with my children, but um, <laughs> the stuff like that is, you know, there's, there's a deeper meaning in, in that. So, um, so I, I would say anywhere um, you can, you can find them on in on Instagram, I'm only saying Instagram because that's visual. So you more likely find them there than Facebook or any other one. Um, they won't be on TikTok drawing probably, but uh, um, so so you can find them any any particular place. But you're going to have to work out an agreement and what you will be looking at. Uh, I know I personally have my, I, I, I subcontracted a, a illustration um, recently and it was like for the cover and like some, I, I don't know how many illustrations in the, in the inside, but it was like $300 for the cover and that. And that's probably low because I, I, I knew them, um, but you could expect somewhere from 300 to 500. Okay, so I'm going to quickly go to the last question because we are approaching time. Um, and it's just one takeaway. Please go around and what should the writers and aspiring writers on the call know before they pursue, pursue being published? What's one advice, one piece of advice you think they should know? And let's start with Dara. Great, because I wasn't prepared for the answer. Cool. Um, say that again. <laughs> Can you say the question again? What, what, what piece of advice should we give writers? What's the one thing they need to know? Um, I, the, I think the thing I tell people is that somebody needs to hear your writing. And in the end, while we're trying to help you be polished, some people, sometimes it doesn't even matter. Someone just needs to hear it. So write, 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 and then get it out there. Don't edit while you're writing though. That's the worst thing you can do. Don't edit while you're writing because you will never finish that project. Write it all out, then get it done, get it out there. But somebody needs it. There's an audience for you. Uh, okay, George. Yeah, I can. Uh, the, the main thing that I would actually give is an answer to a question that was in the Q&A, which is um, how do you network with other writers, influencers and other promotional networks without being obnoxious or come off or taking advantage of them? Uh, this is this is something I really, really strongly suggest that everyone really do is to get involved with uh, with social media, get involved with writer workshops um, and talk to them about the process of, of what you're doing. Share the process because everyone, writing is a lonely job. It really is. At the end of the day, it's just you and your computer or pad and paper or whatever, however you, of a support system, you're going all finished. Because the one thing that that people don't like to see on social media is links of buy my book, buy my book, buy my book, buy this book, buy this book, that book, buy their book, this book, buy that book, buy your book, um, and by due to not come across as a bunch of white noise and also it comes to reaching out to you know like getting other means of having the uh, your book out there um podcasts are a big one there are a lot of writing podcasts that are, that are out there i have a lot of writers on mine and we we are always in need of material and the guests are always in need of a platform so 
definitely reach out to podcasters um, that fit your that fit your particular demographic. Um, and by doing that, that's part of how you eventually become what it was also asked was about being a bestseller. Worry about that part of it later. I'd be happy to, you know, like to help you out a little bit with that because um, with my experience with BookBub, that definitely helped. But, you know, like the main thing that I, I have to say is network, 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 and befriend, you know, like make friends in this writing community. We're a friendly bunch. I can definitely say that. Thank you. I'm going to throw it to Dominique and everyone, please try to keep your responses to 30 seconds or less, please. <laughs> we got okay. <laughs> Uh, so I'm piggybacking off of Dara. Uh, I do think that you should just write. Um, I don't, I don't think writers should limit themselves. Um, a lot of times I get the question, oh, what genre do you write? Or, you know, what's your favorite and things like that. I always tell them I'm a multi-genre writer. Um, I write romance and erotica the best, but I also want to write sci-fi, um, horror, thrillers, suspense, mystery novels, and all of that. And I will. Um, so I don't think you should put yourself in a box. Jim? Yeah, I would say, um, try to remember that, you know, just sort of reiterating what people are saying, that it is a lonely process um, and it can be a difficult process. Uh, but, you know, other people may have control over whether your book is published in certain ways or, or, or whether certain people get to read it, but no one can take away the fact that you are a writer and you have written. Uh, so try to find uh, the, 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 the strength uh, of, of self-pride that comes with the act of creation and remember that uh, no one makes, no one can make you a real writer. You are a real writer because you are writing. And tell me. I would say the title of this event is the beyond the writing. So I would say my advice is to think beyond just writing. And you already have the skill of a writer. If you don't think you have the skill, then, you know, take a class, you know, start writing, write more. But when you're deciding to actually go pursue um, being a writer as a as a, a particular career or a business, then think beyond the writing. Think about your brand. And Hillary. Um, I would say your words matter and don't ever let anyone tell you that they don't because you don't have a degree, because you don't have anything published, because you don't know anybody. That's crap. Um, your words matter and what you say matters. And if you want to be a writer, you keep pushing, you keep at it, and don't let anyone throw a label at you like that ever, because you can do it. Okay, and that is a wrap on our Publish Me To Beyond the Writing. We thank everyone for being a part of this. Uh, thank you to our wonderful panelists. It was amazing. You dropped so many gems, and everyone in the um, chat and the audience is loving it. Um, we will be having the recording available so people can view afterwards. So we thank you all um, on behalf of the New York Early and Professionals to our publishing and the Black Authors Collective Collaborative. We thank you all for being here today. Sorry, Dara, for a little mess up on the name, Black Authors Collaborative. <laughs> we um, are happy to have had this event. Um, we thank you again for the donations to the Bleeding on Scholarship Fund. It's something near and dear to the New York Herbal League um, and the New York Early and Professionals in our hearts. 
Star being a longstanding member, um, this collaborative has been great that we have now have worked together two times to do um, our published new series. So we thank you so much for being here. Apologies for the little sound difficulties in the beginning of the Zoom. Um, but yes, yeah, this will be on YouTube. We'll be on the New York Urban League Young Professionals um, YouTube. And I believe the Black Office Collaborative will put it up as well on their YouTube channel.